Episode 38, The High Renaissance. Hi, my name is Clayton Mills. Welcome to A Short Walk Through Our Long History, a podcast where we look at the events of history and examine how those events shaped our modern world. Okay, here we are, the High Renaissance. Lots of great stuff happened during the Renaissance, but there was one particular period, about 35 years, where some of the greatest art in all of human history was made. And I'm just going to say up front that for this episode, you really do have to go to the podcast website and look at the art yourself. I mean, I can describe Michelangelo's David statue, or you can go look at a picture of it. It's far too visual an episode for just a podcast. The website address is shortwalkthroughhistory.com, and all the images I'm going to talk about are in the post for this particular episode. Also, I mentioned at the end of the last episode that I was going to talk about Johannes Gutenberg in this episode, but this episode is already getting kind of long, even without him, so I'm going to move him to his own separate episode after this one. I mean, he deserves it anyway, right? He's Johannes Gutenberg, even though it does get us out of chronological order just a bit, kind of. And I also admit that this episode is a bit late because I got so sidetracked looking at all the cool information on this period, and I really had a hard time narrowing down what I wanted to talk about. I kept getting distracted by interesting side stories. So on to it. The Renaissance in general started about 1250 in Florence, and it really took off around 1400. But by the end of the 1400s, it had spread all over Italy, and it was beginning to spread to France and other parts of Europe as well. Last episode, I mentioned that in 1401, Ghiberti was commissioned to do the baptistry doors of the Florence Cathedral, and this set off a bidding war for art all over Italy. As a result, there was a lot of great art created in the 1400s, but at the end of the century, starting in about 1495, things really got taken to the next level. Art historians have called the next 35 years, from 1495 until 1520, they called it the High Renaissance. Honestly, I think it needs a better nickname than that. Something like the most amazing era of all eras ever, or the golden era in all caps, or something like the 30 years when things got real, something like that, because it just points out what amazing and unique time period it was in the history of the world. So let's talk about the TMNTs now. All of them were at work in this era, and it was during this era that literally all of the most famous art of all time was made. What's the most famous painting of all time? Well, it was made during this era. The most famous statue? Yep, also in this era. Most famous painted ceiling? Yep. Most famous painted walls? Yep. All of that was created during this 35-year time period. So let's look at these high points of art and the turtles, I mean artists, who created them. The sort of generally accepted beginning for the High Renaissance is 1495. So what happened in 1495? Leonardo da Vinci started working on his Last Supper. The painting, not the meal. So I'm going to describe these artworks here a bit, but you still, you have to go see them. If you can't afford the trip to Italy, just look at the website. The Last Supper is in the running for the most famous painting ever. But honestly, everyone knows that the most famous painting ever is the Mona Lisa. But guess what? They were both painted by da Vinci during this era. I'll come back to both paintings, but first let me talk a bit about the painter himself. 
Leonardo da Vinci was an odd, amazing dude. From the descriptions of him, he also sounds like he was a kind, gentle person that everyone really loved. Anyway, da Vinci may have been one of the smartest people in all of human history. He's the very definition of a Renaissance man, which is a guy who's basically good at everything. Da Vinci was not just good at everything, he was a guy who was the best ever at everything he put his hands to. Da Vinci was born April 15th, 1452, in the town of Vinci, hence the name Leonardo da Vinci. It just means Leonardo from Vinci. If we still came up with last names that way, my name would be Clayton de Jacksonville. That's got kind of an upscale rapper vibe to it, doesn't it? So Leonardo's parents, they weren't married, at least not to each other. Scandal. His father, Piero, was a notary and a lawyer. His mother, Caterina, was a servant in another household. So Leonardo was the only kid that they had together. But between them, they had 17 other kids. So Leonardo had 17 half-siblings, which works out to be eight and a half actual siblings, I think. Anyway, Leonardo was raised on his father's estate in Vinci. He was given a very, very basic education, but at around 15, he was apprenticed to a Florentine sculptor and a painter named Verrocchio. He spent the rest of his life doing art, but oddly enough, very few of his works were preserved. Apparently, a lot of the stuff he started never got finished, kind of like this podcast episode. Here's an interesting story from Leonardo's days as Verrocchio's assistant. Now, Verrocchio, who was a master artist himself with a very good reputation, he was working on a large painting called The Baptism of Christ. Leonardo was given the job of painting one of the angels that was holding Jesus's robe. This was sort of down on the left side of the painting. When Verrocchio saw the work that Leonardo had done on the angel, he reportedly put down his own brush and never painted again. So that was the effect Leonardo's work had on people. After some other pretty amazing works, which you can read about in some of the links that I've posted on the website, in 1495, Leonardo was commissioned to paint one of the walls of the monastery of Santa Maria del Grazia in Milan. He took that wall and he turned it into the Last Supper, and the High Renaissance was on. You totally have to go look at this painting somewhere online. It's amazing. It combines unique architectural perspective a unique layout of the people in the room, innovative use of light and dark spaces, and incredibly realistic depictions of the faces and gestures of Jesus and all the apostles. According to one story from someone who saw him working on this painting, on some days he would paint from morning till night without even stopping to eat. Then, for three or four days in a row, he would not paint at all. He would often just stand and look at the painting. Apparently, the prior, that's the head monk of that convent, was very annoyed. He asked the duke, Duke Ludovico, who was paying for the painting, to tell Leonardo to work faster. Leonardo said, for his part, he was worried that he did not think he could paint the face of Jesus well enough. Leonardo also told the duke that he might use the face of the prior as his model for Judas, the traitor. So that's the face of Judas now in this painting. Lesson, do not make the artist angry while he's painting. Anyway, when it was done, Everyone could see that it was a masterpiece, a whole new kind of artistic work. Apparently, Michelangelo and Raphael came to see it, and it influenced their later work as well. In 1503, having finished The Last Supper, Leonardo started working on a painting of a woman, 
which eventually became the Mona Lisa, and he would continue working on it in fits and spurts until his death. Now, this is arguably the most famous painting in the world. Why is it so famous? Well, in part, because it was so different from anything up to that point. Because, it, in part, it's so striking and realistic, and in part because it's just it's from Leonardo da Vinci. And it's just amazing quality of painting. Here's a quote from an early Italian art historian whose name was Vasari. Vasari says, The painting's quality would make even the most confident master despair and lose heart. The point being that those who knew how hard painting is, they look at it and they go, oh crap, I could never do that. It's that good. Also, if you look at the painting, it's like Lisa knows something about you and she's quietly sort of laughing to herself about it. It's subtle, but it's very powerful. Leonardo really didn't complete a lot of his paintings. He left behind a lot of works that were unfinished. But what he left behind is clearly unique and amazing. Besides paintings, he left behind thousands of pages of sketches in unpublished notebooks, including amazingly accurate drawings of human anatomy. The best known example of this is the Vitruvian Man, which is a sketch of a naked guy with his arms spread out. He's sort of standing in a circle and a square simultaneously. It's hard to quantify da Vinci's legacy, but he was clearly a huge part of the very best part of the Renaissance. Some commentators have claimed that he was the most talented, creative man who ever lived, and I'm not really going to argue with that. He may have been. Da Vinci died May 2nd, 1519, probably of a stroke, in his house in Amboise, France, which had been given to him by the French king. He was buried in the cemetery of Amboise, but that was later destroyed by the French Revolution, and his remains were lost. Those remains may have been found later, but that's disputed. In any case, he left a huge legacy, and his works influenced the other major artists of the time. So, let's talk a bit about the other guys who made the High Renaissance really amazing. I mean, da Vinci might have done that all by himself, but what was really amazing was that there were all these other great artists who were almost da Vinci-level geniuses themselves living and working at the same time. So let's look first at Michelangelo. I have to say that if it wasn't for da Vinci, Michelangelo would be the clear frontrunner for greatest artist of all time. As it is, it's kind of a toss-up between the two of them. Either one of them could really take the title. And they were working at the same time. In fact, at one point, they were both painting different walls of the same building, the Signoria Palace in Florence, but neither one of them finished their work there. Anyway, Michelangelo was born on March 6, 1475. His full name was Michelangelo di Lodovico Buonarroti Simoni, so you can see why we just call him Michelangelo. That's five syllables all by itself. He was born in Caprisi, near Florence. His family lived in Florence for a while, but then his mom died when he was six. They moved to Settignano, where his father owned a small farm, and more importantly, a marble quarry. Apparently, Vasari, that's the same guy who we quoted a minute ago about da Vinci, said that Michelangelo once said of his early life, If there's some good in me, it's because I was born in the subtle atmosphere of the country of Arezzo. Along with the milk of my nurse, I received the knack of handling chisel and hammer with which I make my figures. So, growing up near a marble quarry had an influence on him. Later, as a young boy, he was sent back to Florence, and he studied art under a guy named Girlandaio, who was a master at fresco painting, 
as well as a developer of realistic perspective in paintings. Girlandio was also commissioned to paint the walls of the Sistine Chapel in Rome, which we will come back to in a minute. Michelangelo didn't help with the walls because at that point he was too young. We'll come back to the Sistine Chapel in a minute because Michelangelo was sent there later to help work on the ceiling, and we know how that went. Anyway, when he was 24, after several smaller artistic successes, he was commissioned by the French ambassador to the Vatican to carve a Pieta sculpture. Pieta is the moment when the Virgin Mary holds the body of Jesus, who has just died on the cross. It took Michelangelo several years, but it was worth the wait. Michelangelo's Pieta is not huge. It's only five and a half feet tall, but it's an absolutely amazing sculpture. I've posted a link on the podcast website to a cool 3D rendering of it that you can sort of move it around and look at it. Back to our friend Vasari, the Italian art commentator, and he said of the Pieta, it is certainly a miracle that a formless block of stone could ever have been reduced to such a perfection that nature itself is scarcely able to create in the flesh. It's one of the two most famous statues in the world, and it's currently located in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And again, it would probably be the most famous statue ever, except that Michelangelo himself, well, he wasn't done. In 1501, he started working on a huge block of marble, and in 1504, he finished it. The statue of David, which is now in a gallery in Florence, is 17 feet high, and it's amazing. I know da Vinci is supposedly more of a genius, but the David might be the single greatest piece of art that humans have ever made. It's that good. David is completely naked. He's really buff, actually. He's looking a bit angry, and he's holding a rock in his right hand. Honestly, he looks like a baseball pitcher who's about to wave off a call from his catcher because he wants to throw a fastball rather than the slider that the catcher is calling for. He really looks like he doesn't like the hitter, either. Apparently, when it was first installed in Florence, they had him positioned so that his eyes were looking angrily at Rome because the Florentines were angry at Rome's constant encroachments. Anyway, I've got pics of it on the website. The anatomical details are amazing, and it's supposedly awe-inspiring in person. It's the greatest statue in history, and like I said, it's in contention for the greatest piece of art ever made. But Michelangelo still wasn't done. In 1505, he was commissioned to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, which was mostly done, except for the ceilings. Nowadays, though, no one really cares who painted the walls because no one looks at the walls, because the ceiling is that amazing. If it wasn't for the Mona Lisa, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel would probably be the most famous painting in the world. The centerpiece of the ceiling is the creation of man with the famous image of God reaching out his finger and touching Adam's finger. But the rest of the ceiling is spectacular, too, with over 300 different figures in it. Again, you've got to go look at it online or in Rome. In 1534, Michelangelo came back to the Sistine Chapel to paint the altar wall. That's the wall up behind the altar. And he painted the amazing The Last Judgment. It's an incredibly busy painting with lots of humans flying through the air, coming to judgment. It's centered around a fairly burly and muscular Jesus who has his hand raised like he's about to slap the crap out of the guy to his left. Just below him is St. Bartholomew, who was supposedly skinned alive. And in the painting, St. Bartholomew is holding his own flayed skin. But the face on the skin is supposedly Michelangelo's face. 
Now, to me, it looks more like a saggy version of Sam Elliott, the guy who plays a cowboy in a lot of uh, movies nowadays. But the legend is that it's Michelangelo's face. Below that, there are a lot of people being dragged downward by demons. There's also an image of Charon, the guide who ferried souls across the underworld in Greek mythology, threatening some souls with his oar. It's a reference to a scene in Dante's Inferno, so that book may have influenced Michelangelo. Overall, The Last Judgment is busy and chaotic, just like The Last Judgment probably will be, and it's very large, which I guess is why it took five years to paint. Michelangelo died in Rome in 1564, and he was taken to Florence to be buried. He produced amazing sculpture, painting, and architecture all throughout his life. Much more of his work survived than did da Vinci's, and some of his work is arguably as good and as influential as da Vinci's. Honestly, to me, it's kind of a toss-up. He wasn't as loved as a person, though, as da Vinci or Raphael, in part because he was apparently a pretty hard guy to get along with, a little bit crusty. But then again, geniuses often are that way. That's why I do podcasts rather than actually meeting new people. There's a story that Michelangelo and Raphael once met in the streets of Rome. Michelangelo was walking alone, and Raphael was walking with a big group of friends. Michelangelo apparently said he thought that he was meeting the chief of police with such a large assembly of people. And Raphael apparently replied he thought that he was seeing an executioner, since they are so frequently alone. There's no mention about whether either of them said, Kawabunga! But the story shows something about each one's personality. Anyway, Michelangelo's work was incredibly influential and still considered some of the very best work of the very best artistic period ever. But there is one other painter who we need to look at to finish out this period of the High Renaissance. Raphael. Raphael Sanzio da Urbino was born around April 6th 1483 in Urbino. He didn't live long, dying in 1520 at the age of 37, but he left behind an enormous body of work. He spent his most productive years in Rome, painting many rooms within the Vatican. There's four specific rooms, called the Raphael Rooms, in which some of his best work resides. These aren't paintings, they are all frescoes, which is paint that's applied to wet plaster, so it's actually part of the wall. His most famous painting there is called The School of Athens, which is a huge wall with many famous philosophers and mathematicians on it. There's a pic of it on the website. It's an amazing masterpiece and one of the most famous paintings in the world. It's got nice architectural perspective, amazing light, expressive faces and movement, and it's a really nicely balanced picture. Whereas Michelangelo was sort of known for creating things that were awesome and maybe a little terrifying, Raphael's work is much more peaceful and harmonious. He was also a much more well-liked person than Michelangelo and sort of more of a celebrity. He died on Good Friday, which was April 6, 1520, and his funeral was apparently attended by many, many people, including the Pope. He was buried in the Pantheon in Rome, which is a high honor. Most art historians say that the High Renaissance ended with the death of Raphael in 1520. And although Michelangelo lived on until 1564, creating some amazing artwork, the Golden Age of Golden Ages was over. It's amazing to me that these three geniuses were all working at the same time in the same two cities, Florence and Rome. Any one of them alone would have made this an incredible time in the world of art, but to have all three working together, it's pretty astounding. 
In some ways, the most important aspect of the Renaissance was the spirit of the art that was created, and this is best exemplified by these three guys. Art was seen at the time to be kind of a science, a way to show insights into mankind and the spiritual world and, and to show man's place of importance in the universe. The Renaissance saw these men and other men combine art, architecture, anatomy, science, and philosophy, and put those things together and create amazing works of art that explore both the visible and invisible worlds. Their work changed the direction of art and of just culture for many, many years. There were many other artists creating impressive works during the time, but these three, da Vinci, Michelangelo, and Raphael, are the best examples of the creativity and imagination of the time, and they're arguably the three greatest artists ever. I don't think we'll ever see anything like it, honestly. Maybe England during the 1960s when the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, The Who, and others were making music all at the same time. But even that doesn't come close to how influential the big three of the High Renaissance were. They were pretty amazing. Anyway, the High Renaissance ended in 1520 with the death of Raphael. But the Renaissance itself continued. There's no exact date for the end of the Renaissance, in part because it kind of slowly spread all across Europe with different iterations and manifestations in different places. But you could say that it kind of ended around the end of the 1500s, though there were still some after effects of it happening in the 1600s, like the explosion of really great English literature in the 1600s, like Shakespeare, for example. We'll get to him in due time. He's kind of part of the Renaissance and kind of not. Part of the reason, though, that the Renaissance ends is that it morphs into other things in other parts of Europe, such as how it sort of becomes the Reformation in Northern Europe. And there's one other key thing that happened during the Renaissance that caused this transformation in, from an explosion of art and artistic creativity to more of a literary and intellectual explosion. That other key thing? It wasn't an artistic creation. It was actually just a machine. And that machine was the printing press, which was invented by Johannes Gutenberg around 1450, which was, just for reference, about 45 years before the start of the High Renaissance. So we're going to talk about Gutenberg and his invention in the next episode and how that invention changed the direction of the Renaissance. And so even though we're talking about him next, he happened before the High Renaissance. So next episode, we'll go back in time just a bit to talk about something that really does make a huge impact on the world in the period just after the High Renaissance. The invention happens before the High Renaissance, but the impact happens after. So where do you put that in a history podcast? Well, if you're me, you put it in the next episode. So that's what I've done. So see you again next episode when we'll talk about an average guy who arguably made a bigger impact on the world than any of the amazing geniuses of the high renaissance.